Morning, everyone. How are we all doing? Good. Hey. <laughs> He's good. So, this morning, I've been impacted by three words. Growing, uppaying, and multiplying. And it's a process. Because we can't jump to the end to multiply unless... We've obeyed, and unless we've grown. And that's a massive challenge. It's a massive challenge for each one of us. So I want to look at Hebrews chapter 6. So it is split into three parts, and we're going to start with growing. Best to start at the beginning, not the end, my experience. Um, and I'm going to start reading at chapter, uh, verse 1. So Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that led to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Just to make it clear, Paul here, when he's talking to the Hebrews, is not saying to not do all of that. What he's saying is, once you've made a decision, don't just stay there. Don't stay where you're at. Whether you, this is day one or day 99, it makes no difference. Don't stay where you're at. Because God has got something bigger for you tomorrow. What he's doing today is good. But this is for today. We can't pick up anything else for tomorrow unless we fully appreciate it today. It's a bit like building a house. I mean, Vince is a bit handy. And uh, I, if I said to him, Vince, I'd like to build me a house, but I don't want any foundations in, what would you say to me, Vince? Not a chance. <laughs> would you even take the job on? No. Nah. He wouldn't. Why wouldn't you do that? It wouldn't last. So if I don't build on the foundations or spend the time digging the trenches to put the foundations in, I am not going to last in anything that I do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us of the process that we must go through in order to grow. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Don't be worldly. As a Christian, someone who professes to love Christ, we live by the Spirit. Because otherwise we're just mainly influ uh, sorry, infants. We're mere infants in Christ. Okay, Babies. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're st still not ready. You're still worldly. Where are we? Where are we in our faith? Are we like babies still? Like yesterday, or the day before, or day one? Or are we ready for solid food? If I gave my baby, well, I haven't got any babies at the minute, thankfully. Um, 
But if I'd given my 19-year-old a baby, uh, when he was a baby, milk, and at 19, I'm still only feeding him milk, how fit and healthy or big do you think he'll be? Not very. How able would he be to manage life in this world? Not very. He needs solid food. I mean, Daniel's taller than me now, so I obviously fed him well. Um, so are we still worldly? How do we know if we're worldly? For since, as Paul says, for there, since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? We must grow up in Christ in order to start to understand the fullness of life in Christ that is available to us. It's available for you. It's available for me. It's not conditional. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. God says, if you believe in me, I will give you life to the full. Paul goes on to say in Corinthians, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience inherit what, has God, what God has promised. Now, growing is not something that's done to us. I cannot grow Sheila. I could maybe stick her in a plant pot and hope for the best, maybe water every now and then, give us some feed. <laughs> but that's not going to... I cannot grow Sheila. Sheila can only grow in God. It's up to her. She's got to do things. I've got to do things. You've got to do things. It involves hard work. Digging those foundation trenches is not easy. I don't know if you ever kind of, you know, when they're building new buildings and you think, what on earth are they doing? Why is it taking so long? It's because the hard work is at the beginning. It's digging deep. It's working out the right materials. What needs to be taken out? Where are the rocks that need to be taken out before we can pour the concrete or whatever they do? And then all of a sudden, once the foundations are strong, it just kind of shoots up this building. You're like, driving past one day, and you, then you, the next day, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? For all of that time, there was nothing, and then there was something. Because the work is in the foundations. It's in the digging deep. We make mistakes. I ain't perfect. None of us are. There's only been one, and that was Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We are perfected in him. Not by our own works, but in him. We learn to trust others. We walk this path together as a family. We've got to be disciplined in our own work. And this is the bit I really don't like, but God kind of said it, so I've got to say it. We also have to be disciplined by others. Those who are in authority over us. Those who we walk alongside, who want the best for us and go, hey, Ed, really? Should you really be doing that? Ed, how oh, am man? 
iron sharpens iron. If we don't put ourselves in that place where we can be disciplined, man, what are we going to do? Where will we end up? Because if it was down to me and I ran my own path, I'll stumble, I'll trip, I'll fall, eventually I'll not get up. And I'll end up in the darkness again. And I do not want to be in the darkness. I want to be free in Christ. I want to be able to stand before him at the end of my days here on earth and say, and hear him say, yes, Ed, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. It's not because I'm anything special. It's because of what Jesus has done. And I need him and I need you. We need each other to do this. It involves a personal sacrifice of reading God's word. Being in communion with God. Praying and listening to God. How often do we go to meetings where it's all about make noise? It's all about me turning up with a list. And we go through the list. At what point do I stop? And try and listen and discern and say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? Not my plan, not my will, but yours be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we seek his face, fulfilling that which God has asked us to do, not turning to the left or to the right, and it might mean doing things that we've not done before. As we've explored over the last few weeks, we've talked about some basic needs. We need to eat. Ezekiel says, and he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll. So have you heard the phrase, eat the word? Devour it, read it, take it into your soul, your very spirit. Because that, when you do that, is what can come out. If I fill my life full of television and magazines and gossip and any other things that's not of the Lord, that'll affect my thinking. That'll affect my being. That'll affect my talking. If I fill it full of the word, foundation full of truth and light and love, what comes out of me should hopefully be truth, light, love, compassion, forgiveness, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey as, in, as, sweet as honey in my mouth. The word, when we eat it, is sweet. It is good. It is not bitter. Even when we're being challenged, it is good and sweet and wholesome, and fulfilling. Even when we don't want to do it. John six twenty seven: Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In this world, I could go to Sainsbury's this afternoon and spend a fortune on food, put it in the fridge, look after it, eventually it spoils. 
whether it's in the freezer or in the cupboard, it will spoil. The food that we get from the word never spoils. It only builds and nourishes. Only. God's word fills us with the words we need to speak to the people that we meet. It is for my benefit when I read the word, but God uses it because it comes in and it goes out. It's for the benefit of those I meet. Whether it's the milkman, the hairdresser, my neighbor, my colleagues, my children, my wife, my mum, my dad. That's what it's for. For those who believe and those who do not believe. Because I'm not called just to speak it. I'm called to live it. We also need to drink. So John 6.35, a bit further on. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want that. I want that for me, that I'll never be thirsty again. Because God is my provider. It's in his word. God 7.37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I'll read that again. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. It's not a drip. And it flows from within. It flows from within the heart, within the mind. That comes from drinking of God. We need to rest. And Pastor Nathan talked about that last week. And I hope that and pray that Jen and Nathan get some time to rest this weekend. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you are who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No matter how difficult the situation, the circumstances, and there are some really painful and tough times that people are going through, with God, with God, in God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and following Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we can get through. Not in our own strength, in his strength alone, and with those around us, helping us. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 9, says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon will wither. Anything of the enemy will die. Because eternal life only comes through Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What are the desires of your heart? For life, for death. Massive challenge. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. What a promise. The reward for following Christ. For living in the right way. That reward will shine like the dawn. I know that some people here do like to um, go down early and see the sunrise. I've seen pictures on Facebook and just heard people chatting about it. 
And it's one of the most beautiful things in the world is to see a sunrise. That moment when there was darkness and then there was light. And as it comes up, it's a great, great picture of what Christ has done for us. That moment when I was in darkness and I saw the light of Christ and then it shines and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then what it should be like is that that light shines through me like a prism. And the many, many colors of Christ should be seen. Imagine what's that like for me, for you, but then together as us, how much more rich those colors would be. That's full spectrum of gifts and of love and commitment where all people are caught up in the light of Christ. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil, this is a promise as well, for those who are evil will be destroyed. If there's a heaven, there's a hell. If there's evil, there's good. If there's hate, there is love. Our eternal life would be in one of two places. And I make no apology for making it this clear. It's either in heaven with the Lord, before him, living with him as good and faithful servants, and worshipping him day and night, or it's in hell. Now, I have no idea what hell will look like. But I can, if evil and hate and fear is known, it's going to be there. It's a choice that we make today. Where do you want to be for the rest of eternity? Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. By living in this way, we start to grow, to mature, to better understand the perfect will of God. And in this perfect will, we hear God's promises to and for us. There's a certainty in God's promise. It doesn't waver. As it was at the beginning, the promise is still for me today and for you today, as it will be for tomorrow. So back in Hebrews 6, when God made his promise to Abraham... So this is Paul quoting Genesis here. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So this is God talking to Abraham. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. We had to wait on the Lord. We have to wait on the Lord. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. There was a promise. There was a waiting. There was a delivering of the promise by God. And then God says, go and sacrifice 
Now, there as a burnt offering is quite critical because the Greek translates this as offer him there as a whole burnt offering. And the Hebrew also says, you are to offer him. So this offering, it's a verb, it's a doing word. It's to present or to proffer something for someone to accept or reject as desired. It's also a noun which is used to identify something. It's an expression of readiness to do or give something if desired. So this offering, our sacrifice in our living for Christ, is two things. It's a continual doing. I can't offer it yesterday. I can't offer it tomorrow because I'm still here today. I have to offer my sacrifice of my living, of how I live today. Tomorrow, I'll have to offer it again. It's a continual doing. But also, at the same time, it's my expression of readiness to give. Do we, do you, do I, want to sacrifice that which we see today in order for his glory? For whatever he has called us to do. Abraham did. So remember this is his precious son. The thing he desired most of all. Early the next morning Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. So Abraham did not hesitate. This was on the night. Early the next morning. He does it. He loads up his donkey didn't hold back from what God had asked him to do because, I mean, this is me. I don't know if anybody else is like this. When I hesitate, when I procrastinate or put off what God asks of us, we allow space for the enemy to enter. Um, I remember when I was doing my GCSEs a couple of years ago. Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing. Okay, maybe it was more than a couple of years ago. I had an English teacher, and I'd not handed any of my assignments in. And I needed to obviously hand them in to pass my GCSE GCSE English. And he just said to me, and he had this very nasal voice, Green fields, you're procrastinating again. When I'd said, yeah, I'll do it, and I'll hand it in. Anyway, it came to the absolute deadline and if they did not, if I did not hand them in, it was a fail automatically before I even sat the exam. So I spent two days without going to bed just rattling off these 10 assignments and handing them in for the 9 o'clock deadline the next day. I was very, very tired. And uh, can you imagine the quality of the work that went in? Having done 10 in a row without going to bed just to do it. That procrastination. I had passed, but it could have been a bit better. I'm now old enough to say, that's not enough. Because God's reward and God's promise for me is so much greater than that. I want more. I want God's fullness. I want the fullness of his blessing. Not just, yeah, that'll do. But that comes from me. What am I willing to give? in order to receive. 
when we allow space for the enemy to enter, we water down our offer. Or we end up turning back on the promise that we've made to God. Yes, Lord, I will do that. I will go tomorrow. Yes, Lord, I did say that yesterday that I would go today. However, I've got this on, so I'm going to do it maybe tomorrow. Actually, no, I can't tomorrow because my diary's a bit full. I haven't quite finished watching that Netflix film either and the series I've got to finish. I tell you what, Lord, I've got some space. What? Wednesday. How's Wednesday sound? Is that all right? By that, pers- by that time, though, the person who I may have had been in contact with has already walked on. The opportunity's missed. I've walked down my offer. God was faithful. Did his bit. I didn't do mine. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. That means other people, what the world says. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never leave you nor forsake you. When we walk the path, there's always somebody that God puts alongside us. And it can be the person that we least expect. That is the beautiful nature of God. He will never leave you alone in darkness. There's always someone who can be with you. So Abraham goes on, gets up to the mountain, cuts the wood for the offering. Then he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and Isaac, he calls him the boy, go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. So he's gonna, he knows he's going to follow through on the sacrifice and we will worship. The thing that he loved the most that he's going to fulfill, he's then going to worship the Lord. Even though it makes no sense what God's asked him to do. Isaac, in this process, speaks up and says to his father, Abraham, he says, Dad, or father, Abraham replies, yes, my son, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac, I think, is a bit switched on. Starting to realize something's up here. But then Abraham answers, God himself will provide. The lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. God will provide. In all of this, Abraham's faith is not wavering. He knows that the Lord will provide. No matter what the circumstances are that we face today, God will provide. He will provide for your every need, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, everything. And in this, God is Jehovah Jireh, which is also found later in verse 14. And it's the only place in the Bible where the Lord is referred to as Jehovah Jireh. And that's me I learned. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. When we build the altar, it's for one of two things. 
It's to sacrifice or it's to worship. Actually, though, I think our sacrifice is also at the same time our act of worship. They're not two separate things. When we sacrifice our earthly self, that in itself is our act of worship. Sacrifice is denying our, it's deni- is the denying of ourselves, whilst worship is the free will giving. So what actually is rightfully God's in the first place. Two at the same time. Then he actually reached out, took the knife. Then the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he replies, here I am. In all of this, Abraham's obedience is focused on fulfilling God's will. And in this, Abraham is listening for God's voice always. His leading. He's told not to lay his hand on him. And the angel of the Lord says, now I know that you fear God. Because you've not withheld him from me. We cannot, in our sacrifice or our worship, withhold anything from the Lord. It's all in. It's full immersion. It's jumping right in at the deep end and letting the waters look almost feel like they're overwhelming us. But that's what we need to give to the Lord. Half of me is not enough. The Hebrew translation says, for now I know that you are a man who fears God. And here's the challenge for us. If we look in the mirror, this is me as well, could we say of of ourselves, I am one who fears the Lord? If I was truly living a life that feared the Lord, I would be different. I would have grown more. I would be more mature. If we can, then we are a people who is not afraid of man and live in a way that is not of this world. We would speak freely of the love and the power of Jesus and we would demonstrate this by living, like Matthew says in chapter 25, Uh, 35 and 36, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Prison is not just the physical place where someone is held for doing what is deemed to be wrong. But even there, we're called to visit and be Christ-like, showing those who've strayed the way back to Christ. There is always another chance in the Lord. He never writes us off. Prison can be in our minds. How often are we held prisoner by our thoughts and our fears? Oh, I can't do that. They're a bit scary. I can't speak the truth. I'm a bit not comfortable with that. When we know that someone is suffering, what is our response? Is it not easier just to turn the other way? Oh, that's a bit messy. That's gonna, I don't really understand. Not asking us to fix it. 
asking us to walk alongside. And yet Christ commands that we visit and love. And surely this is the narrow path. Prison can be the circumstances that we find ourselves in, a place or a time where we cannot find a way out. We're called to walk alongside all people, especially when times are hard, because we must be the hands and feet of God. We must demonstrate this life that he's called us to. Jesus himself says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So that's what we don't have. And I, I have come, this is Jesus, that they, that you may have life and have it to the full. And in Romans, it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Your enemy. Feed him. Feed your enemy. Rather not sometimes. But that's what we're commanded to do. By doing God's promises in Isaiah 58, tw- uh, 10 to 12, we do this. If you spend yourselves in behalf, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday at the brightest, at the warmest. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That's the promise of who we, that's also the command, who we are to be and who we will be if we live this way of putting Christ first. And then Abraham looks up, going back to him in Genesis, and there is the ram. The one that Isaac was asking, where, where's the sheep? It's going to be sacrificed. God has provided. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And it is still to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Because of Jesus, our perfect sacrifice, we live freely, having been given life to the full. Through this sacrifice where the Lord always provides, there is no running out of resources in God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham a second time. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. He grew, he obeyed, and the promise of multiplication is there. This promise is not just for Abraham then. This promise is for you and for me today. 
for all those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the only Son of the Father God in heaven. Because we believe in Christ Jesus, we have become his heirs. Now, Romans 8, 17 says, Now, if we are children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We must sacrifice in order to receive the inheritance. Sacrifice my own selfish ways for him to be glorified, for me to receive the blessing. And because we are heirs, we are part of the blessing. And the promise of future blessings become ours too. I'm an heir of Christ. I'm an heir of the one who told me about the love of Christ. Who actually, not just told me, but demonstrated the love of Christ. And by doing that, I've become part of God's kingdom. My responsibility is to continue to share the word. Because when we multiply, it's within the family setting, but in the spiritual setting as well. The word that you give to somebody, the hug that you give, the space that you give someone, the time, the love, that's part of the blessing. That is being the hands and feet of Christ. That could change somebody's life. If you... You know when you get that prompting and you think, that is absolutely mad. I ain't going to do that. But actually, that's the time when we do. Because God's saying, what I want you to do is this. And that could be, oh, it's chucking it down with rain as you're driving along. And some, you see somebody hasn't got a brolly and you stop and give them a brolly. A little sacrifice. It's a complete stranger and you're just like, this is so embarrassing. But... It's an act of God. It's an act of God. It's a small sacrifice. Who knows what God will do for that person? That's just meeting a need. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I mean, we all know this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. You're not alone. To the very end of the age, the Holy Spirit is with you. He is with me. And by doing this, we multiply, not for our sakes, but for the kingdom of God. Now, Abraham was very old. So this is moving on a little bit, going back to Abraham. And this is important. So Sarah's already died, his wife. He's still got Isaac. And he recognizes that he's coming to the end of his earthly natural days. This is in chapter 24. And this is what he asks his servant. 
I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. So this is the land where he's living in, where God had promised him that you will have multiple descendants, more than you could ever count. But he was a stranger in the land. It was not his natural land where he was born. He'd moved there. And he says to his servant, I want you to find a wife for my son, but he cannot be a wife from this place. And he says, go back to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant's like, well, what if I cannot find one? Oh, where? I've got to travel days to people that I don't know. And what if they say no? And Abraham says this, make sure that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. Don't go back to where you were. God's promise is where God has put you. God's promise is for where he will put you later. It is not back to where, from where you came from. That was yesterday. It's really easy to look back at the good times, whatever the good times may be. They were then. It's a bit like manna, when God provided manna. You couldn't eat yesterday's manna because it had gone off, it had spoiled, it was rotten. You eat today's manna. You can't save it for tomorrow because there'll be fresh manna tomorrow. The promise that God gives is for where you're at and for where you will be. It's never for going back. It's always for moving forward. Also notice that Abraham had not forgotten that promise. He dwelt on it. He lived it. He trusted it. I suspect, like all of us, that when God makes a promise, we've got no understanding of what it really means. That promise that he has for me, for you, we just don't know the fullness of it. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And then, and this is Corinthians 13, 12, we shall see face to face. It's only when we see God face to face that we will understand and then we will fully know. Hold on to the promises of God over your life. Do not hold them tightly or try to control them for it is in God's time and in his way that the promises will be fulfilled. We don't understand. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts this is God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor your ways are mine. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. God's promises, I'll say it again, not just for us here and now, they echo through all eternity. Promises were not yesterday. We'll not find them where we were. We find them where we're going. 
And it takes us right back to Hebrews, where I started. Therefore, in order to get these promises, you have to grow. You have to mature. You have to understand. You have to move. You have to obey. And then the promises will be realized. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings and be taken forward to maturity. And in verse 11, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. My prayer for us all today is that we remember the promises and we learn to live in a way that allows God to give us the fullness of his promise. And that means I have to sacrifice myself to be different and to live differently. Through the reading of the word, through the sharpening of iron verse, uh, against iron from one another, prayer, take my petitions to God, but stopping and pausing and listening to him. And then just being bold and courageous and stepping out in faith and wisdom. For God will be with you. He will be with me. He will be with us. No matter how hard we may think it is, God holds us in his hands. Because his desire, because he loves us that much, is to bless. When that happens, God's kingdom multiplies. May the Lord God Almighty, through the power of the Spirit, help us to understand his will and purpose for our lives. May he bless us all abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen.